0: Blog Talk Radio. Music.
1: Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here with a Metsian Podcast. I-95 special, the truck has been packed up from Citi Field, and it is, either it has arrived already or it is just on its uh, end of the uh, the leg journey, but we cannot wait for spring training to get started, and we have a lot to talk about on this very special edition of a Metsian Podcast. And before we bring on our special guest, let's uh, first go around the room to our co-conspirators, we're going to start in Bensonhurst with Mike LeColon. What's going on, Mike?
2: Hey, Sam. Glad to be speaking baseball with the crew again and our guests.
1: Yeah, it's uh, getting warmer out there as there's about 15 or so inches on the ground. And it doesn't seem to stop snowing, but at least we have baseball on the mind. And let's go up I-95 to uh, Milford, Connecticut, where Rich Ferrago joins us
0: hey sam um you know it's funny i was thinking about this as a little kid i used to always think about february 12th which was lincoln's birthday and it was a holiday for us in school i used to, to me that was the first marker that baseball was here it was basically here and tomorrow is that day and even as an adult um you know an over 50 adult i i still think of it that way I Still think of you know, February 12th, Lincoln's birthday, it has to mean baseball's close, and it does, and I'm pretty excited about that.
1: Same here, man, same here, and uh, to help us talk some Mets baseball tonight is MSR 2K20's Brian Testa, who's been doing a lot of really cool work uh, on the internet airwaves, so without further ado, Brian, come on over, uh, great to meet you.
3: Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. Uh I wanted to start out and say that you guys are a bright spot in my 2020-2021 uh, pandemic that I've been dealing with. Uh, it was really, really great to find you guys. Um, your, your podcasts are entertaining as well as really informative. There's a, a lot of gaps that I've lost or don't know about, um, and you guys fill them in
2: real nice.
1: Oh, that's really greatly appreciated. And uh, before we discuss the work that you've been doing, I, I do want to get right into it in terms of the nitty-gritty of 2021 Mets baseball going on. Uh, since we last talked on a Metsian podcast, Bauer ended up signing in Los Angeles after uh, Bob Nightingale got it wrong again right before we went on air. Uh, I, and you're, you're on the front – basically the front line, excuse me, of Los Angeles. So I, I'm wondering – what what do you see out there regarding Bauer? Even if the quarantine is still
2: going on, I don't know.
3: I just saw he tweeted out um, about to fans like I love to sign, but watch out for my personal space. Don't follow me in a hook. I'm like I, I'm so happy we don't have this guy. I, you know, I don't really know. They just announced him, I believe, here in LA. But um, once once the Mets were out, I kind of I dipped out. And I've just been finishing up, you know, the project. So I don't know the, you know, the the, the feeling here or what's going on, but I, I, I'm just, I'm pretty happy we don't have him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's go around the horn now. Since the last time we were talking, it looked like he may be signing with them, but it, I think there was a lot of stealth stuff going on that we, of course, talked about the episode. And I'll start with you, Rich. What was your reaction when he signed with the Dodgers, and how do you feel now? I was happy. I, I, you
0: know, I I think most people view it the way I do from what I see in reactions. Um, He's not worth $40 million a year, at least I don't think so. Um, Here's a guy, you know, with not – nine seasons uh, in the major leagues and only two of them. He had an ERA below four. And yes, I know ERA is an antiquated stat. I get that. And if you look at his peripherals, they're decent. They're, you could call them B level peripherals, but that's still B level peripherals guys, not worth $40 million. I I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was kind of insane to be frank. And you know, when Sandy who's, who's typically conservative, comes on and says, we're not going to spend like drunken sailors and all that. I thought that was an example of spending like a drunken sailor. Um, And then add in all the off the field stuff, which, you know, we've done shows on that. I'm not going to talk about everybody knows what I'm talking about. So you you think about, in my opinion, significantly overpaying for this guy, bringing in the circus of of all his tweets and all the other stuff. I I didn't want any part of him, So I was actually happy. I was happy he went somewhere else.
2: Mike,
1: I think a lot of, Great points there by Rich. And when you look at the fact of the money that he would have cost, he he ended up signing for less with the Dodgers, crazy enough. And a lot of fans, uh, well, maybe not a lot of fans, but certain Twitter handles, some with blue check marks, were all of a sudden like same old Mets, you know, striking out left and right. When was the last time you heard a narrative that had the Mets down to the wire for a free agent? I I just think that regardless of whether – uh, it wasn't specifically those number one top, flights, according to everybody out there, a uh, type A free agent. I don't think you can constitute, even if it's slightly uneven, I don't think you could constitute not signing Bauer as why this is a bad offseason.
2: No, not at all. Uh, you know, starting off with finances, it matters to me less and less as the years go by how much they make on an annual basis. It's when they commit themselves long-term, long-term that makes me break out in a rash. So, you know, they were contemplating signing him for one or two years and he was agreeable to that. I would have been agreeable. Uh, and I would have overlooked the the outrageous compensation. (laughs) Uh, but I'm with rich. I'm glad he's not a met today. Uh, and I'm not going to get into his personal baggage. The only thing I ask is that if you're going to conduct yourself in a certain manner, uh, stand up for yourself when the criticism comes your way, don't cower down and don't play the victim. If you want to be the man, well, you know, stand up and, 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 and respectfully engage in whatever criticism that you might have coming your way. It's a two way street. Uh, but, as Rich says, the statistics, the performance, and the money just didn't add up. I'm glad he's not a Met today. We've said on the last couple of per, uh, podcasts, I have an aversion to central division players coming east, uh, and he classifies as one of those people I was hesitant to bring into the fold. Uh, I don't recall the Mets being in a situation where there was a a, a type A free agent available, and we just missed out. Uh, nothing jumps out, uh, none none that I can recall. The only thing that I, I hope the Mets gain out of this is uh, a lesson learned in negotiating the art of negotiation. Uh, don't be so hasty in your offer uh, because it takes two to form a market and it's obvious that that's what Bauer and his agent were up to creating a market for for her for his for her client you know so uh, I kind of like Brian cashman's approach he tells prospective free agents go out there find out what your market is then come to me as opposed to going out there and trying to set a market and getting into a bidding war. Uh, But it appears he never wanted to come to New York in the first place. He's from Northern Hollywood. uh, So it looked like he wanted to go home all along. He perhaps like George Springer used the Mets to uh, perhaps create that market and and get what they ultimately wanted, uh, which was not to play in New York. That's my impression that he never wanted to be here in the first place and he was just using them to uh, you know, get a better offer out in the West Coast.
1: It would appear that way, um, and it keeps the Mets in the conversation. It keeps Trevor Bauer in the conversation. Uh, there is something you know, of note to, to look at it that way in terms of the, the modern sense, but I can't disagree with you guys uh, regarding his numbers. I can't disagree with – the fact that it feels like it wouldn't it, it in retrospect it was probably the best move um, and and Mike I think you bring up a lot of good points about uh, the way Brian Cashman does things um, but still feel good that the Mets are now in this conversation one way or another even if they were being used, it's kind of nice that they were in a position to be used, considering that just net like like no no other free agent was like, yeah, let's check in on the Mets first. Um, so that's my take on it. That's my feelings regarding the free agent side of everything, which isn't completely done, so we'll see what the Mets have left. Um, but it, it seems like they're substantially – and, and I, we'll, we'll get to this. I wonder what made Sandy pivot so much to the free agent To – I'm sorry, to the trade market because at the beginning – of the of the offseason he wasn't really talking he was talking completely the opposite but he did start to change his tune which of course led to uh, Lindor and, and now we're hearing about Chris Bryant so I, I'm wondering what's going on Rich I'm going to go to you first on this what are the rumors uh, uh, percolating right now regarding the Mets and Chris Bryant
0: well you know the most recent one says that It's pretty obvious the Mets are interested in a third baseman. So Chris Bryant's a name that's been out there. It it was out there, it died off. Now it's back. Um, They're also linked to Chapman from the A's, who's uh, he's basically one of their best players, if not their best player. So now they're linked to him as well. But specifically about Bryant, um, you know the rumors you heard. You know J.D. Davis. You heard his name. Bryant has one more year on his contract and can be a free agent. So, you know, the Cubs, like many teams do in this situation, might look to peddle him. They could get J.D. Davis to play third base. Davis has, you know, a couple more years of team control, so that kind of made sense. But the um, most recent rumor, as of like two hours ago, has David Peterson in a deal going to Chicago. Now, nobody's saying that Davis is in that same deal, but the most recent thing, as of literally right before he came on, is that, the Cubs are asking for David Peterson as part of a Chris Bryant deal. So now we've heard that the Cubs might also be interested in dealing Kyle Hendricks, one of their starting pitchers. So could this be a big deal? You know, could it be JD Davis, David Peterson, two younger guys for a guy who has one season left of team control in Bryant? And Hendricks, who I don't have his numbers in front of me, but he's got to be 30 ish. So, you know, could the Cubs be looking to get younger and more controllable and it becomes a bigger deal? So, who knows? And, and the whole thing about Chapman, um, you know, is that leaking information so the Cubs get off the dime and make this move if they hear the Mets are, you know, dating another third baseman? Who knows, right? Uh, but that's the most recent rumor is, um, is that the Mets are now once again interested in Bryant and that the deal. Could be bigger than you know a one for one Bryant for Dave something like that. It could be a bigger deal, and the most recent name I'm hearing is David Peterson.
1: And I think Peterson would only make sense if they were getting rid of Kyle Hendricks here. And looking at the numbers, I mean, yeah, he's thirty. You're absolutely right, um, but he he pretty he's pretty freaking good. Um, and looking at Bryant, I, I uh, have a, a Cubs fan friend of mine who has said that Chris Bryant, I guess he probably dealt with a lot of injuries last year um, and really only got 131 at bats in the shortened season, batting 206. Um, I'll go to you next, Brian, on this. I mean, looking at the way this could go for the Mets, I mean, I, I yeah, he might be on the way out, but, and he has, he already has a lot of that bats and, and he has a great career behind him Um but he's still worth a lot since we're only removed from. I mean, he's been consistent with his at bats. He's generally been healthy. Uh, 2019, he added 282 with 77 RBIs. Um, I wish I could see the the home runs here, but go ahead, Brian. What, what do you, uh, Brian? What do you think of uh, everything percolating?
3: I've seen a few of the. Um the trade proposal that they're people are kicking around. Um, and I have seen J.D. Davis and Peterson with uh, another guy with it starts with a V. Uh, it's not Vaccaro, but it's something like that. Vientos,
0: yeah. Vientos, one of their prospects, yeah. Yes, yeah.
3: um, For Hendricks and um, Bryant. And as far as Bryant goes, I, you know, I <laughs> – I drafted him in fantasy My, the first year he came up, and he did, he did fine. I ended up having to drop him because of his shoulder injury. It just lingered. His, his numbers just – he wasn't putting up power. I don't think he liked going to the outfield. Um, he, he did whatever he needed to do to stay in the lineup, I think, over there, but I think the shoulder really zapped him. Uh, I'm I'm not all for it. Kind of in the same way I wasn't really for Arenado. I, you know, Arenado had a bad season last year in the shortened season, even with his shoulder, and almost the same kind of thing. I feel like I, I, I'm just concerned about Brian's long term. Brian's long term. He's not that old, but uh, there's something something I don't like.
1: And Mike. What uh what's your take on the entire thing with everything being talked
2: about? You know what? Uh I'm with Brian in so far as Chris Bryant. Uh I'm willing to throw out last season, you know, I'm willing to throw out twenty twenty for just about everyone. Uh if you look back to twenty nineteen it looked like he rebounded. Uh, but he certainly hasn't posted seasons like he did in his working and sophomore seasons. I, I can't say that I'm not curious, but if it's going to cost David Peterson, I I'm not inclined to pull the trigger on this trade. I'm really not. Uh, at this point, I think the the off season has been stellar and acquiring Chris Bryant. You know, Sam, what I always say players become available for a reason. And that cycles back to what Brian was saying uh, and his recovery uh, from from an arm injury. So uh, I'm, I'm curious, but at the same time, I'm leery. Uh, and his strikeouts uh, stand out to me as well. I, I don't need that many strikeouts in the lineup. So uh, I'm more inclined to stay put, keep David Peterson in the fold, can never have enough pitching, uh, and look, to uh, you know, improve this team elsewhere. But in so far as the off-season, uh, it's obvious that the Mets have had far more success in the trade market than they have the free-agent market. Uh, if you want to rewind a couple of days uh, to the Stephen Matz trade. Uh, we procured uh, three three prospects in that trade, and we parlayed one into another trade and picked up outfielder Khalil Lee from the Royals, who in a three-way picked up from the Red Sox, uh, Benintendi, good ball player. I wish we were getting it. But I'm very happy with the little Lee. And then, you know, they made some more reinforcement trades with, uh, with the acquisition of Jordan Yamamoto and Joey Lucchese. So uh, it's been good. And the free agent acquisitions of Albert O'Mara Jr. and Aaron Loop, and uh, most recently Jonathan v- uh, Villar, who I watched uh, play in the Winter League playoff and the Caribbean series and uh, he's serviceable, you know, so uh, I'm happy with the way the off season went, free agency withstanding. Uh, but this, uh, again, I'd be lying if, if I didn't say I was uh, curious about acquiring Bryant, but I, I don't think this is a trade they need to make. Well,
1: I mean, uh, Rich, I'll go back to you here and kind of, Throw like a finishing touches on the Brian part while just segueing over to Sandy Alderson's offseason. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny, Mike and I, for some reason, were talking about the 1992 Mets today, but not in detail. But I compared the 2012 Marlins to the 1992 Mets. Uh, so basically, with all the excitement that's been going this offseason. And you like think like completing it and, and having on paper this great team. Could it backfire on the Mets, number one? And then in that, what is your opinion of the job that Sandy Alderson has done? And what do you think is his reasoning? What do you think happened, speculate if you will, as to why he changed his tone regarding the free agent market versus the trade market?
0: Well, in terms of could it backfire, like the 92 Mets, I had to admit I shivered when you said that. Um, the, um, sure, it can. It can always backfire. The difference of the 92 Mets is that they were put together by Al Harrison, who was at the time, you remember, Joe McIlvain was the general manager for on, on field stuff, and Harrison was a business guy. Then McElvain left, and Harrison took over as, as the general manager. And what I'm, where I'm going with this is he probably wasn't qualified for the role. And what he did was he just went out and he acquired, you know, he, he bought the shiny toys. He bought Bobby Bonilla. he brought in Saberhagen. Um, he Vince Coleman had been there from I think one year before. I think '91 was Coleman's first year. So, you know, they had some some names, but it it didn't work. You know, they had I think they brought in Eddie Murray and they did. They brought in Eddie Murray that year. So, so you you know you had names, but the, the team just never clicked, and it was a disaster. So while that could happen this year, I don't see it. You know, the Mets have a lot of good young talent still that that's usually a good sign as opposed to what Harrison did when he brought in all the, you know, the old, the aging veterans, they have a lot of good young talent on this team. You know, DeGrom is still fairly young. You've got us, you know, you, you've got um, Carrasco, you've got Syndergaard coming back in the middle of the season. So with that and guys like Nimmo and Conforto, you know, I, I see them as very different. So I don't, think it's likely to happen that they'll fall on their face if you look at the Pocota projection that came out I think it was yesterday they had the Mets winning 96 games and actually which I think is ridiculous finishing 10 games ahead of the Braves like in a total cakewalk in the division I think they're really underestimating the Braves maybe overestimating the Mets a bit you know I, I think they're going to be fine I think we're going to get what we're, what we're expecting in a really good baseball team now how far they go who the heck knows right injuries will matter uh, but and then to your other question about um why Sandy has pivoted to the trade market. Well, one thing remains true. You know, um, the Mets right now are 20. I did a, I did a piece on this from Mets Mariahs the other day. They're $25 million under the salary cap, uh, the uh, luxury tax. So, you, you know, you can only go so far. And if they had signed Bauer, they would have been $15 million over. And that's a lot of money. You know, they would have been paying that $15 million plus the luxury tax on top of that. So I think one of the reasons they're pivoting to the trade market is you know, going over the luxury tax is okay if you're adding down the stretch. We don't want to be in that situation on opening day, and, uh, and I think they really don't. So I think that being the case, they want to move some money out if they're going to bring money back. I think it's as much that as anything else that you know they are right on the borderline of that luxury tax and if they like i said if they had signed bauer they would have had to dump some salary and then you would have been in that mode so i think that has a lot to do with it sam i really do um they want to manage and stay under the the luxury tax and sandy's off season your last question you know i mean i i i have to give it a a minus at the worst you know i he brought in a (laughs) brought in one of the best players in baseball, you know, a four-time all-star shortstop in Lindor uh, got Carrasco along with him. And and let's not minimize that, you know, Carrasco could be a, could be their number two starter for a while or number three. Stroman came back. So you've done stuff there. Um, You know, they added Trevor May, who's a hard throwing bullpen piece that they needed. So they certainly needed bullpen pieces. They, you know, I, I was, I couldn't take one more inning of Wilson Ramos and they added McCann. So that's an enormous upgrade. <laughs> and I mean, I literally, I, he hit Ruben Tejada territory for me. I, I couldn't take watching him for one more <laughs> at that. I'm sorry. And I don't, I'm probably a nice man. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that he was looked lazy defensively. He was awful offensively. He looked like he didn't want to be there. So don't be here, man, go. And he went, thank God. And so, um, and so. anyway, so I'd have to say, you know, they, they added a lot of pieces, and they're not done. You're probably going to see another major league player or two brought in, whether it's free agency or trade, probably trade, and they're still not done. So, you know, if you look at Pocota, 96 wins, all of that, the, the, the pieces they brought in in areas of need, you got to give them at least an A-minus.
1: You know, Brian, it's, of course, uh, crazy to think that the Mets would just be able to, in one offseason, shake off, well, you know, being the Mets. Uh, However, I think that, you know, the transition is underway. It's going to be really interesting to see how this team now performs under a different ownership. And one way or another, I I think that it's – I I, I would still say incomplete uh, instead of any specific grade. But I'm looking forward to seeing what Sandy does in the next few days before pitchers and catchers, and if if anything. Yeah,
3: I I can't complain. I, the day that the day the Wilpons got out of there, the coupons got clipped. You know, I whatever they do, I'm not going to go blindly. But I I just I have nothing but faith in. Sandy and Cohen and the new ownership i they want to win they're they're proving that they're building pieces. you know i I do think Bauer would have been a waste to go over into the luxury tax, but what they're I can't complain with anything really that they're doing
1: Mike, you know, I remember you saying that making the World Series threw the plan off the, the rail. Um, now, unfortunately, there's been a lot of damage done to that plan, but would you say that Sandy Alderson has just had to pivot with whatever he has and now start from scratch with a new owner?
2: Definitely starting anew with a new mandate under different circumstances in a new condition. So if that facilitates Your question, there you go. Uh, Let us not forget that we have a general manager, and his name is Zach Scott. We've moved on from Jared Porter. Uh, We have a general manager in place. So, you know, we need to wean ourselves off of saying Sandy Alderson and start incorporating Zach Scott into this conversation. Uh, I'll assume, like everyone else, that Sandy Alderson is fully involved in these latest waves of transactions, uh, but we do have someone in place, even though we we've, we've heard little from him to date. So it's just an interesting dynamic going on in Flushing, and we fans, you know, we're we're in the learning process as well. We've been conditioned, uh, and we're trying to break old habits and, and form new ones. So yeah, in a sense, Sandy Alderson is working with a brand new set of tools, different tools, more modern tools than he was previously.
1: And, uh, Brian, uh, I want to get to your stuff in one second. But as a follow-up, you know, Rich, is is that basically in some fashion because the press is always going to Sandy? Um, That's, you know, whenever these transactions happen, lately it's always sandy as basically the face of the franchise from a front office perspective um so does that also involve the fact that the, the press needs to maybe pivot as well probably theoretically yes
0: but that's very difficult to do you know because you have sandy alderson who is a big name in baseball right you know he's been a gm i think this might be his 25th 26th season as a GM between Oakland, San Diego and the Mets has worked in the major league baseball office and to boot, you know, of course, was the GM here for let's see from uh, 2011 through 18 and that back in 2021. So, and who is Zach Scott? I mean, I, 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 sometimes I forget he's there, you know, I mean, he, he was the assistant. Now he's, he's been elevated. That's great, but you can't really blame the media or, or us as fans for looking to Sandy Alderson. I mean, he's the known quantity he's, he's known in baseball. He's very well known here and he's in the front office. So it's hard to look past him to the guy over his shoulder and say, Oh, that's right. That's right. You're the president. You don't really do that. Sir, you know, Zach Scott, let's talk to you now. It's almost, it's not logical to do that, even though maybe that's what we should do. Um, it's hard to look past the guy that you know and the guy who's who's still there. So I I think for that reason, I don't envy Zach Scott because, you know, while Sandy is clearly the face of the franchise, they go to him for reaction to everything. And they assume he made every trade and every signing. Can you imagine being Zach Scott and trying to establish your own mark? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a tough spot for him.
1: It's a good point, point. Um, and you know I, it's going to be interesting. Well, Mike, you said it's six days before pitchers and catchers.
2: Yeah, pitchers and catchers report on the seventeenth. I believe the first workout is the eighteenth.
1: So we should be getting some movement on something uh, coming up shortly. And you know, I'm sure these players are gearing to go, especially for some of them that that wasn't that weren't able to perform in 2020. So it, it's it's going to be. Really interesting next few days for the New York Metropolitans. Uh, you are listening to a Metsian podcast, and tonight we have Brian Testa on the program. So, Brian, I want to uh, go to you now. Uh, before we get into your Metsian roots, as we like to call it, I want you to go ahead into your shameless plug, uh, tell the audience about you and where they can find you, anything else that you want to uh, specify.
3: Awesome. Right now I am on Twitter. Um, MSR, the number two, the letter K, and then 20, spelt out. MSR2K20. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Excellent, man. Well, uh, tell our audience, like, where where do you come from, uh, what do you do, and uh, how did you get involved in this uh, crazy game of Mets baseball? <laughs>
3: Um, I grew up on Long Island, Suffolk County. Um, my brother was a huge Mets fan. Uh, my brother, Ed, big Seaver fan. He he groomed me from real young. I got, I think, vivid mem- or memories of 84 and 85 uh, as far as a structured baseball season and a team went, and then 86 was just from the jump, was just. I was a paper boy so I delivered newspapers, read the box scores, read the articles. Such a, a different time back then, you know, we have everything at our fingertips. We didn't even know what the inning was if you turn on a baseball game back then, you know? And, you know, wiffle ball, stick ball, little stoop ball from the friends whose parents grew up in the city or in Brooklyn, you know? And we just played until the dinner bell rang um, 86 was just an incredible year I was 11 years old I think everybody should have their team win the World Series when they're around 11 um, and the game 6 for me was you know of the 86 World Series was my moon landing and my, my first game was in 88 game 4 of the NL uh, NLCS Dodgers beat us after Strawberry and McGrawells went back to back. It was amazing, and then heart heartbreaking. I'll never forget leaving down the ramps at Shea that day. It was just heartbreaking. And I figured out, oh, well, they'll win again, <laughs> and here we are.
1: Well, you've uh, you've basically spent a lot of the pandemic basically just immersing yourself in that game six. So tell our audience about what you put out.
3: Yeah, so uh, the the Mets, the 86 Mets, got together over the summer. I'm sure a lot of people know. Um, They did a reunion, a game six watch party. SNY hosted it, Steve Gelbs, John Harper. I mean, they knocked it out of the park. Those guys crushed it. Um, And they had a bunch of Mets. I think there were about 11 total Mets plus plus the two hosts and people joined and left and they just, they watched the game uh, for four hours, game six. And it was, it was a treasure trove for us Mets fans. It was absolutely amazing. And then it happened and I was like, well, now it's just going to live in an archive on SNY's Facebook page as a zoom meeting. And I felt like it should be more than that. And so I got the, game six brought it into my editing software i brought the whole zoom four hours of the players and i edited them i separated all the boxes and i sunk them to every half inning of the game and now it's met street science theater or reunion 2020. i um i'm a big mystery science theater 3000 fan so I've always had this idea of doing something mets related creating the title, and this was just perfect. The only problem was it was four hours long. So <laughs> it was a labor of love. but um, So now there's four hours of the Mets players watching the game on the same screen for the first time ever, and why stop there? I was like, if I'm going to do all this work, I may as well Zoom bomb it and so I went and I shot myself uh with a camera for four you know for the four hour time to watch the game with the guys and you know unlike mystery science theater where they just take over a crummy movie and make it funny and good, I have taken something great and made it a little more crummy by adding myself <laughs> but that's what you get it's uh, it's like ninety i'd say ninety five percent them and percent me. I tried to not make it too annoying to where people don't want to watch it because <laughs> I'm just talking. But I'm a fan and I have got my perspective from being an 11-year-old back then. So why not add it?
1: It is really fascinating. And um, I, I want to go around the room uh, to talk about it. Uh, uh, Rich, if you have any questions.
0: Well, I, I, you know, hearing you explain it, Brian, I understand uh, my, my question was going to be why the 86 game six of all, you know, the, the if you think about the, the pantheon of, of Mets, Mets, games and stuff, but it makes sense. Now that was your, you know, moon landing moment. Uh, that particular game, it hit you at a time. You said when you were 11, which is obviously a great time in, uh, in your, in a, someone's life to, to get enthralled by the game of baseball. So that, that makes sense. But, but what, um, so you, I understand using that as your as your anchor, that particular game, and then using the SNY broadcast with, uh, you know, the Zoom meeting, the watch party. But what gave you the impetus to put yourself in it like that? Because I, I did watch it, and I think it's really cool. Um, so what what is the I, – I don't have the creative juices you do. So, so what is the creative part of you that says, this is what I want to do with it. I want to take this watch party in a game that meant so much to me as a kid and – of all things you could have done with it to insert yourself into it like that. I thought it was kind of cool. So how how did you come up with that idea?
1: It was just,
3: uh, you know, kicking it around. I mean, it took me when it happened, when, when the reunion happened, I'm out here in California, so I can't throw on SNY and watch the game that they're broadcasting. So I had to find it on um, a site. So I looked up on that site and I got the game. And then I had to, every time they went to a commercial break, I had to, stop the game because they talked through the commercial break. And I was like, this is going to be a nightmare, you know, in my brain. If, but as soon as it was happening, I was like, I have to do this. I, I, because it was so—it was gold. It's all gold. Like, every interaction, every inside joke that they have, it's, it's all, honestly, it's amazing. And I, you know, I'm just trying to not take away from it. Um, but at the same time, I'm putting in all this work and I could just, put it out there and you've just got all the players and the game. And again, I'm a, I'm a big mystery science theater fan. I mean, there, it's just something I can throw on in the background and kind of half listen and half watch. And it's, just, it's it's funny to me. And so I wanted to incorporate a little bit of that, but again, not be too much too overbearing and, and make it enjoyable for Met fans. So my interjections
1: are here and there. Well done. Good work. If you have any questions.
2: Uh, questions and comments. I mean, it's a rather unique piece. I mean, it's rare, if ever, that you have that kind of cast together watching the game they played and, and, and really give us uh, a, uh, a pitch-to-pitch and play-to-play rundown of the whole game. That was fascinating. And the interaction between players, uh, Bobby Ojeda and Daryl Strawberry, uh, amongst others, w- was just fascinating to listen to. And I just want to say, well done by you for putting this, you know, marrying the two venues together for this piece. Because like I said, it's rare that you ever get much, much or less two or three this many players at one time in a common conversation over the game that they played. Uh, it was very insightful. Into the game of baseball in and of itself, uh, the scouting that Straw Strawberry provided uh, on on Roger Clemens, per se, you know, things that you just don't hear, uh, amazing stuff, really. Uh, and then on top of that, very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable, very entertaining. So, again, Brian, well done by you. And, you know, as we commented prior to the show, uh, I believe it was an email, you know, a lot of people fail to know is that Rafael Santana and Keith Hernandez played together previously to uh, becoming Mets with St. Louis. Uh, Rafael Santana uh, played 30 games for the Cardinals in 1983, and, of course, that was the summer that Keith Hernandez came over to the Mets. Uh, but it gives a, a completely new and different perspective into Raphael Santana that I don't think many Met fans, even Met fans of my age uh, and our age, uh, really a, a, a side of him that it, it, it's rare that Met fans got a, got a chance to see that. And in this conversation, it, it was special to watch.
3: Yeah. I mean, Raffi hands down was the, Guy I knew the least about, and he catapulted himself way high. I mean, he—it was just awesome. The knowledge that he has—I mean, he's a smart, fundamental guy. But he also, you know, had a good time with these guys, and you just—you don't see that uh, as an 11-year-old or as a fan, you know. And then even Doc mentions, you know, at one point about how everybody talks about the team as a party team and it's true they were a party and they had a, they were a party team and they had a lot of fun but they were really smart and they talk about it you can't not be smart and win 108 games you know they had so many come from behind victories that year it was like 37 or 38 or something uh, where they were trailing in the 7th or something like just from a team standpoint too it we're we're never going to see a team like that again we're you know, we're never going to see a 69. It's, every year It's it it gets further from what baseball was because of contracts, I feel like. You know, these guys all got done with the game, win or lose, and, and stuck around and had a beer together. And, you know, to, that's why they're all so comfortable with each other in this forum, because they weren't just guys on contracts who came in for a year. I mean, yes, a lot of these people were brought in and were pieces, but they the, – the, like Bobby O talks about coming from the Red Sox and how they weren't as tight-knit, and he had never played with any, you know, gamers like these guys. And just all of that stuff is just incredible. In addition to, you know, the, the scandalous was Mitchell in the clubhouse or in the dugout or in, in back in the, uh, yeah, in the clubhouse uh, during the 10th inning – It's just all of that is just, it's amazing to see it from not an 11-year-old perspective.
2: One last question, Sam, if I may, and this is for you, Brian, and for you, Rich. Take me back to your summer of 1986. Say July 1st, 1986, you pick up the newspaper, you open up to the box scores, and the Mets are, say, 24 games in first place. We never experienced anything like that. What were you thinking? Do you want to go first, me, Brian? I'll, I'll,
3: yeah, I'll, I mean, again, I was a I was a newsday paper boy, so I had a paper every day. You know, I box scores and articles were all we really had, except for you know maybe Sports Center or something. But I I just I remember like, I don't even, when did the, the magic number, the Davy magic number with the rabbit and the hat come, like, that was my whole summer, I feel like it's, like, they were, they were counting down the days, from, it was just, it was magical, I mean, the, the season, we, we played stickball and wiffle ball all day, and then watched Met games, you know, Nintendo was around, so that was not the only gaming that we did, you know, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, it's hard to, hard to, my sixth grade teacher let us decorate the classroom. You know, New York was just overrun with the Mets. It was, it was a great time.
2: And Rich, you know, I asked you that question. We, we lived through the dark years. So how are you feeling? You know, Mike, as I reflect back on that, that was
0: the year that, that year and, and and oh six to a lesser degree. Were the years we watching baseball for me was what it should be. It was fun, you know. You would watch the game. You pretty much knew the Mets were going to win, and if they lost two in a row, you knew they were going to win the next day. And it, you would laugh along with you know with the humor in the booth. It would be entertaining, relaxing because they were so far out in front, and you knew they were good. Uh, to use a term, you know, they ran roughshod over the National League East in, in both years. And it was great. You know, it was great for that reason because, you know, I have to admit when, when things are tight, you know, like when they need the games, I don't watch it in a comfortable state of mind. You know, I'm like, I'm jittery. Like I'm, I'm watching the game. I'm into it. I want to miss a pitch, you know, and I'm like, I'm freaking out over this. And why is he making that move? None of that was the case in 86. None of that was the case in 06 because you're, you're truly, the tension is out and you're enjoying the beauty of the game and the relaxation and enjoying it for what it is, which is an entertainment. That was the year that I was, you know, old enough to go to the games on my own. You know, so my buddies and I, we would, we probably went to 20 games that summer and you would just go and drink your beer and you, and you'd be like, Oh, this is great. You know, whatever's going on out there because it was that relaxing. They were that good that you were that comfortable Um, which for me personally is not the way I watch games on a routine basis. Like usually, like I said, usually I'm a basket case during most games. So, so that, that's how I remember it.
1: That's great hearing you guys talk about it because I, of course, was one year old, one years old, uh, and one year old, one years old, whatever you would say. Um, but I, I've certainly immersed myself in the 1986 Metzian lore. What I like to say about game six is it's just like back to the future. No matter how many times you see it, you're still on the edge of your seat wondering whether Marty McFly is going to get back to the future in time. Um, I, I love watching that game. I love watching that inning, and it's unbelievable to see every single time. So thank you, guys, and thank you, Brian, for putting that together. I look forward to watching a few more innings. Um, I, we're going to go back to the current Mets roster, and, and it, it has had some additions recently. Um, and, and Mike, I'm going to start with you with some of these names. Let's first start with Albert Almora. Um, you know, I I talked to uh, someone. I talked to uh, my Cubs fan friend, and they love Albert Almora. They're they they wish they could have kept him. Um, it seems like he's not. You know, all that great with the bat, but he's just absolutely stellar defensively out there.
2: Defensively sound, indeed. Uh, you know, we're not looking for him to be our alpha starter by any means. Uh, he'll be a counter to Brandon Nimmo, a more bats right-handed. Of course, Nimmo bats left-handed, so I foresee a platoon situation coming up. If not. uh, consistency in late innings as far as defensive replacements uh, and pinch hitting duties, you know, but uh, it is what it is. It's a good acquisition in so far as solidifying the bench and adding needed depth. Uh, You know, you always have to go into the season accounting for injuries as well. So it's a good, it's a good backup maneuver, good acquisition. And uh, I'll take it at face value. Again, I'm not looking for him to be the starter, so you can't be disappointed with what you don't expect.
1: Rich, what's your opinion about the Albert Elmora uh, free agent signing?
0: He's solid. I mean, you know, he is what he is. You know, he um, he has a career defensive run saved in center field of six, which, you know, puts him at, you know, slightly above average, right? Um, he'd be, you know, above average defensive center fielder. And, in, you know, in 2018, he had 10 defensive runs saved in center field, which is really good. Uh, Lapsed back in 2019, and his total is, is six right now. So, again, he's above C-level C as a defender in center field. And, and let's face it, everybody loves Nimo. I love Nimmo, love the energy, love the on-base the on percentage. Nimmo's not a good center fielder. His numbers show that he is way below league average in center field. So here's my take on it. If you want to say it's a straight platoon, all right, that means Nimmo, you know, Nimmo's going to play, what, 75% of the games because, because there's 75% of pitching is, is right-handed, roughly, 70%, 75%. I don't love that. I don't. I want Nimmo in left field and I want a real defensive center fielder. Uh, um, now, I'm not saying Almora's that guy, but I think bringing in a guy like Almora, where if you say we'll play him against um, right, uh, against left-handed pitching, that means you're playing Nimmo most of the time in center, which really, really weakens the defense. And yes, I know if Nimmo plays left field, that means where are we going to play Dom? Because at this point, there's no DH. Um, I understand that too, but... Uh, you know, Mike, you and I have talked about this for how long we own each other? Nine years. We've talked about this for nine years, that center field, behind the plate, up the middle, those are defense positions and I really want defense in center field. And my concern by the Almora signing isn't so much with him, but that it could mean that they're gonna they think of Nimo as a most time center fielder and I don't like that. I, I just don't. I, I would rather see a solid defender in center field on a regular basis.
2: Uh,
1: Brian, um, there's just so many different players to talk about uh, before we go here, but I, I want to finish with Alvaro Mora. But during this time, I've also been looking up Khalil Lee as well as Jordan Yamamoto. So if you uh, take it from there, fin- uh, finish us up on Almora and then talk about some of these other acquisitions. Yeah, I mean,
3: from what I know of Almora, you know, again, the if they're not on the Mets, I only track them if they're fantasy-relevant, per se. Um, and he has not been, but he is a uh, solid defense. And I, I'm not opposed to a little platoon here and there at some positions. You know, it worked worked in 86, but I, I understand that his bat is not going to be um, a Mookie or a Lenny. But I, I don't – you know – I don't mind the pieces. I, I'd rather I'd rather than piece together a miracle than spend luxury tax money on Bauer, you know, the guy who's coming off of his Cy Young year, who, in my opinion, shouldn't have won it uh, based on his competition in the Central. Degrom had a way harder um, schedule, but I'm just biased. But Yamamoto, I've always liked. Uh, he's part of those wild stallions down there in Miami. Um, those young arms. He he had a few good outings, and then he uh, I think he got sent down last year. So I'm I love him as depth, you know. I love Lucchese as depth. I don't love Lucchese as our fifth. Um, Ikhov. We got Ikoff as well, who is. He had a real bad run in Philly, but he had some decent stretches so i I'm happy to see what we can do again i'm not, you know these guys have to pitch I, you know i we can all talk about paper all we want, but um i i again, I don't mind these moves that that they're making.
1: Rich, I'm going to go to you next, so wherever you want to first take it, because, you know, we also have to talk about Jonathan, Jonathan Villar, excuse me. Uh,
0: yeah, let's start with that. I love that pickup. I literally loved it. Um, you know, here's a guy who – I know he strikes out a lot. It's worth the negative. I get that. He strikes out. Great. The guy could play a lot of different positions. He could play second, third, short in the outfield. He, he can hit, he's got a little pop in the bat. He's, he led the national league in stolen bases twice, I believe. Um, So in him, you're getting a versatile player with a little pop in the bat, you know, not as much as like a Marwin Gonzalez who just signed with the Red Sox minutes ago. Um, But not as much as that, but you're getting a guy who could play everywhere. You're getting multiple players in one and, and a guy who brings that nice dimension of speed. So, you know, if you're in the bottom of the ninth of a tie game and, you know, you get a leadoff double or a leadoff single from, you know, one of the, as Keith would say, one of the truck horses uh, like J.D. Davis, you could put you could put Valar in. Here's an accomplished base stealer, guy with some speed. It's a nice element to have that the Mets just have not had enough of lately. So I think it's a fantastic pickup. you got a guy who's 30 years old. I'm a big believer that your bench players should be veterans. Um, I I don't like the idea of taking a 22 year old and saying, you're the bench guy. I like the, I, a guy like Villar who's used to this. He's used to being the the super sub kind of a guy. He's perfect for the role. The Mets need him. And I, I I was ecstatic with that signing. Um, so that's that one. Um, and you know, some of these other guys are like, I cough. Why not? You know? you add in for depth, you see what he does in spring training. Arietta's out there. The Mets are linked to him. They're linked to Paxson in, in rumors that they might be interested in bringing these guys in. I have no problem bringing these veterans in, give them a look. You know, if the problem is if you sign these guys, major league contracts, you've got to make a roster spot. You know, room for Villar, they had to designate Brad Brock for assignment. Now, here's a guy who I think we all like him because he grew up a Mets fan, and you know, we all know he was at, at the World Series, even though he was an Oriole at the time, or cub at the time, I think. And he went to the, the World Series as a fan, hanging out at City Field, which I think is awesome. But he had to go, and that's the problem. If you bring these guys in on major league contracts, you have to take somebody off your 40, and if that guy you just put on doesn't doesn't cut it, now you're, you've just lost two players, Right. So um, so you have, to, you have to massage that a little bit. But, again, overall, I like the strategy of bringing in these veterans. You don't need them. You know, you're not being the 62 Mets and just trying to cobble a team together. You're looking at, for depth. Bring these guys in. As long as they don't cost you roster spots for, you know, for the guys you want, let them fight it out. Let's see what they've got. And I have no problem with it. I'll say it one more time. I love the Valar
1: sign.
2: VR, I think you said
1: Mike, where would you like to begin?
2: Uh, I'll pick up with Jonathan Villar, Uh And I agree with everything Rich said, especially with having veterans on the bench. This guy's been around, knows what he's doing. He's not going to be surprised. Uh, and the moment won't be too big for him. And, you know, those qualities are very important. If you look at the two instances where he played a full season uh, in, in 16 and 2019, uh, we're talking about a very good season. You know, I'm not trying to overplay it, but we're talking about very good production. Uh so I'm happy with the acquisition and I just finished watching him in the Winter Leagues. And uh, you know, he will be uh he'll be, a, he'll be a, a pleasant surprise to many Met fans. Cycling back very quickly, uh, on the the signing of uh Elmora, you know, we also have to consider that that was plan B considering that we lost out on George Springer, you know, that was the primary goal and we missed out Uh, so that was a good backup plan I think, and uh, you know, you brought up uh, Jordan Yamamoto I like it I like it insofar as, you know, he projects for power yeah, but one stat that I will always keep near and dear to my heart is hits versus innings pitched. And, again, you have to throw out, in most instances, all statistics for 2020. I I refuse to give them much credence. But if you go back to 2019, you know, he only gave up 54 hits in 78 innings pitched. And to me, that's good. That's credible. That's viable. You know, I invite that. So I'm looking forward to, as Brian says, a young arm joining the fold and uh, seeing what he can do in flushing. But this latest wave of acquisitions, very happy with. Again, uh, moves to solidify the bench and add much needed depth. Because again, you have to go into the city into the season, taking injuries into consideration. Because eventually, your depth is going to become your starting, and you know who's next in line. So these are important moves. Uh, Good, solid moves. Whatever happens next is gravy, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm very happy over the Khalil Lee acquisition, you know? So, uh, so yeah,
1: if, if anybody can go down that rabbit hole real quick, what, what's the word on this kid?
2: Well, he was ranked number eighth in the Royal system, and now that he's in the Mets fold, I think he's ranked seven in our minor league system. Uh, he's an outfielder, and, uh, you know, the Mets needed to replenish uh they, well needed, not needed. They need to replenish some minor league talent. Uh and this was a good turnover. They gave up Josh uh, Winkowski who they acquired for the Steven in the Stephen Matz trade. So I think that was a good parlay, you know? Uh and again, he was rated eighth in the Royal system. Uh the Royals in turn they picked up uh Andrew Benintendi. So uh an equitable trade. I think it was a, a good acquisition. And uh, I look forward to seeing him up and flushing soon,
1: Brian. What was your take when you saw the uh, the three team trade sweep across your your screen, whichever one that may be?
3: I I took a breath from editing and I was like,
1: oh, the Mets. We trade. We trade
3: too. Let's, let's poke our head. You guys making a trade? What? Who? Who you got? We got people. Yeah, I mean, I think they were going to tender Winkowski, so they turned it into uh, an eighth-best royal. So, uh, you know, let's go.
1: (laughs) I hear that, and, you know, I I like these little depth moves. I like these stealth, sleeper potential moves. Um, And even, like, looking back, I had forgotten that we have Jose Martinez Uh, so it's going to be interesting coming up in in the next few days to see how all of these players, uh, start gelling together and and see where this team goes. So, um, I, I, I'm, it's the time of year where all of a sudden baseball starts to creep back in and luckily for us, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's actually looking like it's going to be right around the corner. And there was uh, some doubt for a second that would be. And I think uh, a good place to finish, you guys, I think there was some news about letting fans back into arenas. So, Rich, when you heard that news, you know, what 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 was your take?
0: (laughs) I have two takes on that. Um, As someone, as a a member of society, I, I think it's, not the right time i think um you know i cases are finally starting to go down connecticut new york new york i think is down like a three percent positivity connecticut's was only 2.5 today which is wonderful um we're finally making traction on this thing the mass vaccinations are about two months away don't mess with it now i i just i'm sorry if i'm getting political but i just don't see why you want to start opening up restaurants now when we're so close and and starting to do this stuff with, with sports venues. So I don't like it from that perspective now as a baseball fan and what it means for baseball, I love it because if you're letting 10% of people into Madison square garden for a hockey game, um, I have to think that six weeks from now when the trend line should continue to be better with more people being vaccinated and maybe, you know, take that out eight, 10, 12 weeks from now, the trend line should continue to go in the right direction so if you're doing 10% now indoors, I'm hoping you can get to 25%, maybe at some point in April outdoors. So as a baseball fan, I love it. Um, I think it, it gives me hope that I will go to City Field this year. Um, so, yeah, so there, I have two sides, right? I have a logical side as a member of society, and then the other side as a greedy baseball fan. That's my perspective.
1: So Brian, you've been in LA this entire time. What has it been like for you? And what's the word on stadiums out there?
3: Um, they have been using Dodger Stadium as a testing site. Um, it Got shut down the other day for some some crazy scare. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't I don't do much these days. I I spent the, the latter part of 2020 sitting in my apartment editing. Um, And, you know, restaurants have closed. They're open again now, limited seating, mostly outdoor, nothing inside, I don't believe. Barbershops are open again. Um, It's been, you know, it's it's a weird microcosm here because we generally stay warm. I know our cases haven't been good, but for me, I I just feel like the warmth isn't as hard as a, a northeast winter, you know, compounding all of this, at least for me. Um, yeah I, I, I agree I agree with Rich I, I, it's, it's a double edged sword you know it's like we're we're almost there knock on wood you know but again you know we we want to see our sports so I'm I'm on the fence you know as far as will I go yeah I was looking Dodgers Dodgers host the Mets here in August so why not? Limited seating.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I've made the joke before, uh, and I'll loop it back over to Mike after this. Uh, that that us Met fans have been uh, pretty familiar with having an entire row to ourselves. It's, it's nice. It's spacious. It's comfortable. <laughs> uh,
2: be nice, it, be nice if, if we knew if
3: there was a DH.
2: That yeah. too. That too. Well, uh it looks like we're going to have to wait till December for that one. But uh you know, my home is a controlled environment. City Field, Yankee Stadium, Madison Square Garden, Barclays, you know, uh are not. Uh but I'm nobody's boss. Go ahead. If you want to go, go. Have fun. Uh, I I bid you well and safety. Me personally, I don't necessarily need to be there yet. And, Sam, I guarantee you the first game I will attend will probably be Coney Island seeing the Cyclones, not city Field. Uh, but, you know, I can wait. I can wait. I'm patient. I'm with Rich. I'm with Brian. I can wait. I'm in no rush to be at a game. Uh, you know, there's crews and television cameras and producers and directors that do a fine job of presenting the action just fine through this thing called the television here in my mantle, that being at my computer and doing what I do and talking with you guys uh, for the time being, you know. So, like I said, I'm nobody's boss. If you want to go out there, be out there. Just do it safely, Uh, and I wish you well. (laughs) That's all I can say.
1: Well, I hope... Uh, you know, according to the laws now, that if there is if the minor league season gets started on time, there could be potential for some fans going to April baseball in Brooklyn. Um,
2: and I'll tell you,
1: Mike, I don't care how cold it is off that water, I will be there in some capacity. You know, uh, if, I guess it's a, if it's a ten thousand seater, and whatever the number is currently, I'm sure it's not more going to be more than like two to three thousand at best. Um, I'd love to be there, and, and I I uh, invite you to be about uh, six feet apart from me.
2: You're going to have company. I'll be there. Are you kidding me? That's going to be history. It's <laughs> a historic day at Coney Island.
1: <laughs> that it is. Uh, and, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a Metzian podcast, and we're so thankful that you do. Uh, and we, we always go to our last word, and, Brian, uh, I'm – I'm going to start with you for your last word, but basically just, you know, summarize uh, your feelings on the Mets right now at this current moment, as well as, again, uh, please shamelessly plug yourself. uh, Tell everybody where they can find you.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Um, I just want to say, if you're a Mets fan, you need to watch Mystery science reunion 2000 or go to SNY's facebook and just archive the zoom you know the zoom call without me but as a as a baseball fan as a Mets fan the the knowledge that they impart during this game is it's priceless i mean I, you could read a thousand books but to see them on screen you know talking to each other and giving each other a hard time is is well worth the four hours. Um, you know, I would say that as far as the state of the Met, I, I can, I, I'm still in elation because we're not dealing with the coupons and you know, where did our money go? Oh, Bernie made off with it. You know, I, I'm, I'm so ready to start the next chapter and be a competitive force in baseball, I would say, in the National League. But if there's no DH, then is there – anyway. But I say that to bring it back, you know, maybe if we got the 92 Mets together, they could put some vaccines in a Super Soaker, make their tour around. Man, I can't believe you guys brought up the 92 Mets. Um, but <laughs> – I'm so excited. I'm so excited to get going. You know, this is, it's a whole, it's a dawn of a new era that we have, or we haven't seen for a long time, a commitment that it seems like to winning and putting a real team on the field. Let's go Mets.
1: Let's go Mets. Brian Testa. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. And that last word, you, you, you got me going this direction over to the other guys. Uh, Rich, you with your last word, but I, I want to cap it off with uh, what Brian just said, that uh, Steve Cohen probably won't be handing any underdog shirts out to the clubhouse.
0: Yeah, probably not, right? Um, so, no, my last word would be I'm excited. You know, I, I think, um, yes, there are probably more moves coming. You might see them before we have our next podcast. There might be you no know, new players on the team, but even if they don't, I'm still excited. You know, Marcus Stroman is back. Lindor's a Met. Uh, Trevor May, I'm excited, excited for, for McCann. Um, there's a lot to be excited about with this team. Like I said, even if they do nothing else, I think they have a shot at winning the division, a pretty good shot at that. Um, if they make additional moves, that's even better. Um, but I think they're, like Brian said, You know, the Wilpons are gone, all that. There's a, new, a breath of new air to be uh you know, to be consumed here, um, and with that comes excitement, and I'm there. I mean i'm I'm excited, I'm ready to go. Uh, I think the team is solid now. maybe it'll get better, maybe not, but I'm ready to go now.
1: here, here, Mike
2: uh happy Valentine's to everyone. Happy President's day to everyone. I think uh this year. More than any other in our lifetime is a good time to delve into the history of the presidency, considering what we've uh, been through. Uh, Otherwise, you know, Sam, I keep on saying I'm a man of all seasons. The Winter League's just wrapped up. The Super Bowl is over. Right now, I'm uh, preoccupied with basketball and hockey. So uh, baseball still has to build up on, you know, uh, on my schedule. Uh but I'm patient, you know, and again, everything in due time. Till then, I'm a happy camper, as Rich says. Can't ask for more this offseason. You know, I was looking for reasons to blame Sandy Alderson, but at the end of the day I couldn't. I couldn't find anything to blame him for. Uh so things are going well. Uh free agency for the first time, you know, we went into free agency and the ability to spend was not an overriding concern for the first time in a long time. Uh, so we're in a good spot. I can only say otherwise, let's go Mets. Good days ahead.
1: Uh, thank you. Thank you uh, to my co-conspirators, Rich Farrago and Michael Colant. And, and I think uh, the only way I could finish is that I wish that Ralph Cramden would send Tom Brady to the moon, but alas, the guy – just keeps on ticking uh but what is beautiful about the Super Bowl uh being over is that it always means pitchers and catchers that's the next thing that many sports fans look towards once the football season is over if you are are a man of all seasons uh and baseball is right around the corner a new era as everybody has been saying of Mets baseball is right around the corner and the only way that I can finish it as uh all three of us, I, I, uh, the, the three, the four of us, excuse me, uh, already did. The only way to finish is Let's Go Mets. Ladies and gentlemen, thank Let's you again for it. listening to a Metsian podcast. Good night. Good thank night. you, Brian. Night
3: all. Good night, guys. Good night. All. So thank much. You, Brian. Later guys.
1: Let's go Mets.